Very good morning, family. Uh, even to those in the sanctuary, a very good morning to you. Shall we just um, go to the sermon? And actually, we are still in the book of Romans. Uh, we are continuing the series. And we are going to pick up from where Reverend Chiang has spoke of from last week. And today, our passage is actually from Romans 2, chapter 12 to 29. And shall we just go to the Lord in prayer? Father, as we hear your word, open our hearts and minds to what you have to say to us. So we ask the Holy Spirit to speak to us clearly and personally, so that, Lord, our lives will be changed and transformed. So, Lord, hide me behind the cross and let the words of my mouth be your words and not my words. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Allow me to read to you the text. It's a rather long text. hope you can follow along. Uh, can we have the slides for the text, please? Okay, from Romans 2, chapter 12, uh, Romans 2, verse 12 to verse 29. All who sin apart from the law will also perish apart from the law. And all who sin under the law will be judged by the law. For it's not those who hear the word who are righteous in God's sight, but it's those who obey the law who will be declared righteous. Indeed, when Gentiles who do not have the law do by nature things required by the law, they are a law for themselves, even though they do not have the law. They show that they have they show that the requirements of the law are written on their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness, and their thoughts sometimes accusing them and at other times even defending them. This will take place on the day when God judges people's secrets through Jesus Christ, as my gospel declares. Verse 17, Now you, if you call yourself a Jew, if you rely on the law and boast in God, if you know His will and approve of what is superior because you are instructed by the law, if you are convinced that you are a guide for the blind, a light for those in the dark, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of little children, because you have in the law the embodiment of knowledge and truth, you then who teach others, do you not teach yourself you who preach against stealing, do you steal? You who say that people should not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? You who boast in the law, do you dishonor God by breaking the law? As it is written, God's name is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. Circumcision has value if you observe the law, but if you break the law, you have become as though you had not been circumcised. So then, if those who are not circumcised keep, keep the law requirements, will they not be regarded as though they were circumcised? The one who is not circumcised physically and yet obeys the law will condemn you who even though you have the written code and circumcision are a lawbreaker. A person is not a Jew who is one, who is one only outwardly nor is circumcision merely outward and physical. No, a person is a Jew who is one inwardly, and circumcision is circumcision of the heart by the Spirit, not by the written code. Such a person's praise is not from other people, but from God. This is the word of the Lord. As you can see, it's a rather long passage. Also, this sermon will be maybe rather long too. Hopefully you can just follow along and pick up the points of what the passage is trying to say. I have titled today's sermon as No Excuses. 
as mentioned just now, we really are picking up from where Reverend Chiang has sermon has left us. And the title is actually taken from Romans chapter 2, verse 1. Paul wrote, You therefore have no excuse, you who pass judgment on someone else, for at whatever point you judge another, you are condemning yourself, because you who pass judgment do the same things. So here Paul says that we have no excuse. We are all guilty of human unrighteousness. All of us have no excuse when we stand before God in judgment. All of us are sinners. And I think that is very clear here. But here, for this charge of no excuse, I would like to explain that there is no difference between you or me. There is no difference between full-time ministers and lay people. It applies to both of us. More so for people who are in full-time, we have even more no excuses to give when we stand before God in judgment. So really this no excuse reason comes from these three truths that I'm going to mention. The first is we have no excuse from being ignorant of the law. We have no excuse from being religious. And the third, we have no excuse from being a Jew. To start off with, really we have no excuse from being ignorant of the law, especially for us Christians living in Singapore. And we need, need to understand verse 12 to verse 16. And to do so, we need to jump back a few verses to verse 6. Because verse 6 says, God will repay each person according to what they have done. According to what they have done. Based on this verse, it means really God is not going to summon all mankind and tell them that they are judged based on the law. For example, the Ten Commandments. Instead, God will say to the individual, what do you think was right and wrong? And when the individual answers, God's question then is, did you do the right and not the wrong? So by following this standard, of course everyone fails, including, including myself. But Paul makes clear that this is true. He says, all who sin apart from the law will also perish apart from the law. The fact that some people have never heard the Ten Commandments or anything else that is in the Bible, even John 3.16, does not mean that they are going to be accepted in God's sight. So in army terms, the act blur, live longer, does not apply. Because the truth is they will perish, not because they did not hear, but because they did know, they did know what was right, but they did not do it. So a theologian by the name of Francis called this the invincible tape recorder. It's as though there's a recorder that hangs around our necks. For example, it could be the phone that you're carrying. And this phone records the things we say to others, whatever that we say and the actions that we do in our lives. Then at the last day, God the judge will take this recorder or this tape off our necks and say, I will be completely fair to you. I will simply play this tape and judge you based on what your words say are the standard of human behavior. So from this, we can see that God is really fair in His judgment. And He will use our own standards, the judgments we made with our mouths and actions as the standards that we are judged. So how about those who do not know the law, who have no access to the Bible or the Gospel, have never even heard the basic John 3.16 for example? Paul takes up his case to the uninformed Gentiles in verse 14 to 15. I'll just let it flash out the verse, I'll not read it out. 
And in these verses that was read just now, it shows that God has placed knowledge of Himself within the heart of each human, in the hearts of you and me. So the Gentiles who do not know the law, who have no access to this gospel, will still know intuitively the difference between good and evil, right and wrong. And even little children know that they have done something wrong, right? So, even when they did, haven't heard the gospel or don't even understand, but they know intuitively that whether they did something right or they did something wrong. Likewise, our conscience will be held responsible for the actions. And because of this, when we stand before God, we have no excuse. But here, the word conscience can be a bit confusing. So I would like to take some time to explain in other passages when the Bible mentions the word conscience. So the Bible mentioned in other passages, in 1 Corinthians, for example, that our conscience is imperfect and weak because it has been corrupted by sin. Paul wrote to the church in Corinth, It is not everyone, however, who has this knowledge, since some has become so accustomed to idols until now. They still think of the food they eat as food offered to an idol, and their conscience being weak is defiled. Paul further on meant to add on about conscience in 1 Timothy 4.2. Through the hypocrisy of liars whose conscience are seared with a hot iron. And because, really because of sin in our lives, our conscience is weak. And we need the blood of Jesus to cleanse our conscience. Hebrews 9.14, how much more then will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself unblemished to God, cleanse our conscience from acts that lead to death. So on one hand, you hear the word conscience being weak. On the other hand, we need to be cleansed with the blood of Jesus. But through the words of James H. Orhe, conscience is the voice of God in the soul. So that's the Hebrews verse, and yep, that's the quote from James H. Conscience is the voice of God in the soul. Even Martin Luther, the great reformer, also believed that maintaining a good conscience was worth going to prison for, and even to death. Luther was asked by the Roman Catholic Church to recant his writings of faith excommunication. Luther said, Unless I am convicted by scripture and plain reason, I do not accept the authority of popes and councils, for they have contradicted each other. My conscience is captive to the word of God. I cannot and I will not recant anything. For to go against conscience is neither right nor safe. God help me. Amen. How then can our weak conscience, as mentioned in the Bible, be this voice of God in the soul, or even worth going to prison or death? Here we must understand that God gave each and every one of us a conscience. And as believers of Jesus, as followers of Him, as Christians, our conscience has been cleansed by Jesus. And because of that, we have this Holy Spirit that is in us. Together with Holy Scriptures, we need to pay special attention when there is a prompting from the Holy Spirit. We need to be sensitive to the way of the leading and the guidance of the Spirit. Maybe we need to pause and listen to what the Spirit says to us in our busy life. We rush here, rush there, and we are packed with meetings. Many of these times, a subtle hint 
a word of encouragement from a friend or a family member. It's a way of guidance from the Holy Spirit. Some call it gut feeling, sixth sense, or as my wife say, women's intuition. It's never wrong. So the question is whether when we face with such a prompting, a hinting, what would your reaction be? What would your response be? Ultimately or generally, when such prompting occurs to you or happens in your life, it should be aligned with the Word of God as seen in Martin Luther. Not just the Word of God, but also in, in the community of believers. That's where we have a form of mutual understanding, a journey together. Because this is where God has put people in our lives to direct and lead us. So coming back to the conscience in Romans, our conscience can differentiate right and wrong, good and evil. But it does not allow us to know God personally. And therefore, we have no excuse. When we stand before God, when we face judgment, we have no excuse to say that we do not know that the things that we have done are evil in your sight. And now as we move to verse 16, this will take place on the day when God will judge men's secrets through Jesus Christ as my gospel declares. Paul again argues that there is a day coming when God is going to judge the secrets of men. Everywhere and all that is hidden will be revealed. And I think Jesus also echoes this in Luke 12 verse 3. When you have said, what you have said in the dark will be heard in the daylight and what you have whispered in the ear behind closed doors will be proclaimed from the housetops. So just this reason of being no excuse, which is the next slide, um, if you can move to the next slide, we have really no excuse from being ignorant of the law through our words and actions, through our conscience, through our secrets. God will judge them all whether we know the law or not. But there is a way out. There is a light at the end of the tunnel. The promise is given to us in verse 13. For it is not those who hear the law who are righteous in God's sight, but it is those who obey the law who will be declared righteous. See, obedience saves us from the judgment from God. Obedience allows us to be righteous in God's sight. Then the simple question is, Will you and I obey Him? And as we move on to the second truth, which, where we have no excuse from being religious. And here we can use the word Jew and substitute it with church members or even Christians. Because Paul goes on to take his case to this special group of people, which he himself is a Jew. So he own self say own self in that sense. And if we are honest with ourselves, we are actually in the same condition as the Jew. The Jew was, I'm referring to, was the time that it was in Paul's day. Because we too have this great body of truth that we delight in, and we feel proud of the knowledge and our understanding of it. But unfortunately, we oftentimes hope and think that knowledge in itself is the thing that will save us. Verse 17 to 24 we will see how Paul handles such thinking. Allow you to, to just read through because this passage has been read just now already. It's a rather long passage. 
but it's from verse 17 to 24. If you can just follow, maybe in your Bibles or whatsoever, because I'll be going through what Paul is trying to say about the Jews that can be applied to us today. And here Paul lists the five great advantages which the Jews of his day had and on which they relied for their position before God. And first, they relied on possessing the law. Today, many Christians rely upon the fact that the Bible is available to us so readily and so easily. Maybe a quick question is, how many English translations of the Bible we have? Do you all know how many English translations of the Bible? We have actually 450 English translations. Don't ask me how I know it, I just Google it. I do not know it uh, at the tip of my finger. But we have so many of these versions and many people, maybe maybe in the past but not so now, is that they claim that they are a King James Christian. You hear them bragging about it, that they only believe and only read this version because it could be the most accurate or the first English translation. But this is exactly what the Jew was doing in Paul's day, bragging that they have the law with them. Second, they brag about their relationship to God. The Jew made it clear that they have a special relationship with God. And today we hear of this in some prayers or in some conversation that goes something like this. Oh, Heavenly Father, President Gordon or Pastor Anthony and I were just talking the other day. In fact, we are BFF. We are good friends. We spent hours talking over lunch, dinner, supper, midnight. You know, we made it clear to God that we have a special standing with these special and important people. And by doing so, we brag about our relationship to God. And third, the Jews were people who knew the will of God. They had the scriptures, they had the Ten Commandments, they had knowledge of what God wanted. And there are many today who boast about their knowledge of the word of God. And the number of Bible study programs they have completed, not once, maybe even twice. And fourth, these Jews approved of what was superior. They rejected certain attitudes and actions in life and choose only what was regarded as morally superior. I mean, if you are honest, some of us do take on such attitudes too. We take pride in the fact that we do not do certain things. For example, we don't drink, we don't gamble, we don't smoke, we don't play cards. We don't do certain things that makes us a non-Christian. And finally, the Jews were instructed in the law. There are many Christians who quote great passages and they took pride in that. Now, there's nothing wrong with all these advantages. I'm not saying that we should not do them. But we should not. We should do them with a right attitude and not depend on them for righteousness to feel that we are superior in our standing with God to make us feel special for our relationship with God. The attitude is what is wrong. Then Paul goes on even to, I might say, whack the Jews or even attack them because he lists four privileges which the Jews felt were theirs because they had this advantage. And let me go through it quickly. The first, they felt that they were a guide to the blind. Till today, we too are always ready to correct anybody around us to impart truths to these unfortunate people who have not learned anything. Second, the Jews felt that they were a light to those in the dark. Every now and then, they run to people. We run to people we are ready to impress with our knowledge of Scripture. We can quote Scripture off so easily. Or even people who know how to read and write Hebrew and Greek. Nothing wrong with that. But when you boast and you feel that you are superior when you know such things, 
that's, that's wrong attitude. Third, the Jews felt they were instructors of the foolish. And the story in my research, research is that a lady injured her wrist in a car accident. The emergency doctor who took care of her happened to let slip a couple of curse words accidentally while working on her. She lectured him at great length about how she is a Christian and how she will not listen to this kind of language, blah, 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 basically nag at him till he finally, okay, sorry, sorry, you know, I shouldn't have said it, you know. Obviously, the emergency doctor is wrong in, in such language. But the attitude of the lady who is injured is typical of many who feel that they are instructors of the foolish because they have the knowledge of the scripture. And the fourth privilege which the Jews possessed was that they were teachers of infants. And then here I want to say there's nothing wrong to teach Sunday school and we should encourage one another to do so, but for the right reason and not the wrong reason. The wrong reason is when people want to teach because they feel that they want to impart truth to people who need it. And they take great ego satisfaction in doing so. Those are the wrong reasons. In Paul's judgment of such people is, you are guilty as well. He went on to add, you are outwardly righteous and correct, but inwardly you are doing the wrong thing. Paul went on to further accuse the Jew and their wrongdoings, especially when they brag about the law. Paul says, God's name is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. There was an ultimate judgment upon the Jews. Because, you see, when you are accused of blasphemy, that is the worst sin to them. To the Jews, blasphemy is the worst sin. Yet Paul says, though you claim to have so much, to be so knowledgeable, yet what you have done is to blaspheme God. People have been turned away from God because of you. So as I was preparing this, as I was reflecting on this, I believe it's somewhat true of Christianity as a whole. Not only in Singapore, but all around the world, Christians have caused people to turn from God because of our attitudes and the way we approach people. We keep a record of number of salvations we receive, but how about those that we turn away? We as Christians really need to take a good look at ourselves before we look at others. Are we behaving like the Jews? Are we having such attitudes that turn people away from Christ? And if there are any in any small way, may we have no more excuses but to turn to Christ for forgiveness and humble ourselves to be corrected. And here Paul went on to talk about being a Jew and here we have really have no excuse from being a Jew. In inverted commas. Because Paul takes the biggest and the single greatest symbol of being a Jew, which is circumcision. Till today, they do pride themselves um, on this ritual of circumcision because what it stands for, what it symbolizes is that it means that this group of people, the Jews, were God's people. They were chosen people. And the right of circumcision shows that they are a chosen people from God. But here, how can we apply it to our modern day, our, our lives today in Singapore? We only need to substitute circumcision with baptism, confirmation, or church membership. Many Christians rest upon this fact that they were baptized, confirmed, or accepted as members of a church as a sign that they belong to God. And Paul says that if something has not happened in your heart, all these are useless and worthless. 
he finally concludes about the Jews in verse 28 to 29. A man is not a Jew if he is only one outwardly, nor is circumcision merely outward and physical. No, a man is a Jew if he is one inwardly, and circumcision is circumcision of the heart by the spirit, not by the written code. Such a man's praise is not from man, but from God. And this last phrase is a play on words. The word praise is taken from the word Judah, from which we get the word Jew. Paul says the Jews is not praised by men, but by God. He also makes clear what constitutes a true Jew in God's sight. Now this question of what is a true Jew is a hotly debated question in the state of Israel today, and still is. The, the Israelis are constantly trying to decide what is the basis of being a Jew. What makes a Jew? Is it religion? Is it observing the Old Testament law? Keeping a kosher kitchen? Many Jews are atheists, having no use of the Old Testament. And yet they claim to be Jews because of their ancestry. Their parents, as far back as they know, were Jews. But is that really the basis to claim to be a Jew? What makes really a Jew? God says that nothing outwardly makes you a Jew. One becomes a Jew, or even I can substitute it to the word Christian, when one's heart is changed. As with Abraham and Jacob, you become a Jew when you believe in Jesus, the Messiah. What makes you a Jew is not the culture from which you come, the ritual through which you have gone through, the circumstances of your life, or your background your ancestry, your history, but the fact that you have come to know the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what makes you a Jew or a Christian. Paul wrote in Galatians, if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Now, Paul writes and concludes in this section of chapter 2 in Romans that really man without Christ is hopelessly lost. Though men, means us even, we disobey God, we do delude ourselves, defile our conscience, deny what we ourselves teach ourselves, when we are absolutely, hopelessly lost, we can rely and know that Jesus Christ is one that can save us from this hopelessness, this state of being that we are in. And because of this relationship that we have with Jesus, that makes us a Christian. So the, it's not a question of whether you are baptized or a regular church worshipper, which I want to say is important too. Please sign up for BMC and please come regularly. But the question is, do you have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ? And have you received the gift of righteousness which God gives to those who do not deserve it? You and me, we do not deserve it. We cannot earn it but we can receive it by His love and grace. And to round up really, if you look at Paul's argument in Romans here, we see that the law will not be able to save us. The theatrics of a Christian or a religious person will not be able to save us. The heritage of a Jew will not be able to save us. But only the gospel will be able to save us. And here to those who do not know the Lord Jesus Christ, I just want to pause and urge you to think about it. Be willing to open your hearts and accept the Lord Jesus as a personal Lord and Savior. 
in your life. If you you are one of those person, you can come up after the service and, and, and talk to either one of the church staff or the pastors. We are willing to share more with you how we can accept the Lord Jesus as a personal Lord and Savior. Now, to us Christians, and many to those who have been Christians for many, many years, even maybe even older than me, longer and older than me, you and I have no more excuse to give, but to choose. To choose whether we want to live a life that is obedient to the Word of God. We need to choose whether we want to allow Jesus to be the center of our life, to lead us, to direct us, to journey with us through this life. When we face obstacles, when we are down, we go to Him. When we are celebrating, we still go to Him. Be the good times and bad times, we are with Him. And that's something that we need to decide. We need to think about, we need to make a conscious, intentional effort. So let's pause now and let's go to God in prayer. Make a decision if you can. And say, Lord, I have no more excuse to give. Now I would like to choose. For some, even it's areas in our lives that we need to make a decision. That we know through our conscience that we are straying away from our Lord Jesus. We need to come back to Him. We need to turn around. Turn 180 degrees and face Him. And walk towards Him. Give you all some time and I will close with a prayer. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, in areas of our lives, help us to be honest with ourselves. Help us to examine our attitudes, our words to other people, our actions to other people. Help us to examine it through the Holy Spirit, not through our own, but through the Holy Spirit. So Holy Spirit, help us, convict us, so that we will be willing to change change our attitudes, our words, our life for you. Dear Lord, we can stand before you saying that we have done our best. We love you and we want you in our lives. So Lord, help us as children of you, Lord. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Before we cut off the broadcast, I would like to show the class meeting slide. Really, these two questions is for you to discuss. The first one is share an instance when you obeyed the Holy Spirit prompting. When was the last time you had a, a nudge from the Holy Spirit? Maybe to speak to a stranger or your boss or somebody to do, you know, whatever encounter, share it openly, honestly, to encourage your fellow cell members. And question number two is looking at the behavior of Jews in Paul's day, are there any similar behaviors or attitudes in your life? If yes, what are they and what needs to be changed? Really, as Christians, we need to take a, a look at ourselves and be honest with one another. You know, it's a journey. We're not perfect. But it's a journey of be willing to recognize areas of weaknesses so that we can change. 
Okay, I leave the two questions to you for your discussion and active participation. Okay, I think the slides will be sent out.